Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Dugout, Football Social Daily. Welcome to Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League show. I'm Jim Salverson and Niall has left me in charge of the dugout today. So I've stolen his tracksuit, I've borrowed his clipboard and I'll be swanning around barking orders and looking like I own the place today. Alongside two former pros who are going to preview the weekend and they know the game inside out. There is, of course, no Premier League action this weekend, but there's still loads to discuss, with England doing a duo of matches in the run-up to the World Cup, a couple of friendlies for them, and a much-changed squad as well, as players drop out left, right and centre from international duty. But is it genuine injury, or does an international cap just not mean quite as much as it once did? We're going to be looking ahead to England's World Cup hopes as well as we take this mid-season breezer, And there is some worrying news when it comes to England and potential early opposition in the Qatar World Cup. Plus, back to the top flight and the current complaining that is coming from City and Liverpool fans about the choice of destination for their FA Cup semi-finals. Traditionally down in Wembley, but not so traditionally. There's no trains running for this particular one. Do the FA need to rethink where that game is going to be played? And have we lost the magic of having those FA Cup semi-finals played in neutral venues? So, wearing country colours today rather than team colours, I've got Trevor Stephen, a man who pulled on the white of England 36 times in the late 80s and 90s. How are you doing, Trevor? Very good, Jim. Thank you very much. Excellent. And Francis Benali as well, who never quite had that honour. But how close did you get? Franny, did you ever get a call from an England manager telling you you might be in his thoughts? Oh, far from it, Jim, I'm afraid. But uh, <laughs> yeah, as I, I, I took great pride and pleasure in representing England as a schoolboy and uh, albeit as a striker back then. That's when I scored goals in those days. <laughs> Who would have been ahead of you in terms of left back uh, in, in your, your days where you would, might have been looking at an England cap? Uh, well, I think there was in the early days, Kenny Sansom, uh, Stuart Pearce. And I guess then in the latter stages, towards the end of my career, it was Andy Cole. So, yeah, I had, had very little chance of breaking into that, that network that uh, Trevor very rightly and very proudly, I'm sure, 
fitted into. Well, I guess potentially it might have been different nowadays with the number of names that seem to be falling out of the England squad. The friendly this weekend is England versus Switzerland. It's taking place on Saturday. I'm interested to know your reaction to the much-chained situation that we've seen in the squad with players dropping out and maybe fringe players coming in. But first, do these games need to happen? In your opinion, we're at this sharp end of the Premier League season. We know what the fixture congestion is, right? And here we've got two seemingly pretty meaningless friendlies that have been chucked into the calendar that, to me, seem more disruptive than positive. But Trevor, how does that feel from a player's point of view? Do the players want to go and play in these games, even though they're just friendlies? Yeah, I think they do. Um, these these friendlies, it's the first time we've had friendlies in a while, isn't it? Because the sort of reconfiguration of international football with the European Nations League or, you know, it's difficult to follow, isn't it? Really? Um, so th- this is an unusual little gap here that we've got. Um, and leading in after this winter break, um, no uh, qualifying games to play. All right, so it's, it's uh, the friendly matches. I actually think that um, players do want to go and play for the country. I think, uh, you know, no matter what it is, um, I think they do. I mean, sometimes you might even think that if a player's got a bag full of caps, you know, would they want to go? But I tell you, they want to go. They really they really do want to go. And of course, if anybody's new in the squad, they're going to absolutely jump at the chance of meeting up with an England squad. So um, I don't think that's the issue. I think probably at this time of the season, you're probably getting a lot of influencing from management about your tiredness, your you know, your fatigue, your um, injury that you might have been carrying a little bit, but you've not missed games. Uh, and you might see one or two people not, you know, going to take that place in a squad. And hence, again, we've got that kind of scenario here. But you can understand it from, from both sides. They are, as you said at the start, they are friendlies. We're coming to the business end of the league. Everything to play for. Could be it could be survival less likely, but it could be survival. But it could be the big big rewards at the end of the season, and your club wants you to be fit for that. Um, but to go back to your uh, the, the principle of the question, um, players want to play for their country, whether it's England, Scotland, Wales, Bolivia, you know, you you name it. They want they want to play, no question. It's interesting you mentioned the potential pressure from managers not to play. And I look at it from my club's point of view. I'm a West Ham fan. We've got Mikel Antonio at the moment who has not really tasted international football until the last year when he decided he wanted to play for Jamaica. And so he's now playing regularly for Jamaica, but he's a player who has a lot of miles in his legs this season. He's played a lot of games. He's fairly injury prone. And now he's flying halfway around the world to play in international friendlies that potentially don't really need to happen and might impede West Ham's chances of getting a top six place in the Premier League. But from David Moyes' point of view, and it'd be interesting to get your view on this, Franny, because if you were in his situation where you'd waited a long time to play international football, you now had the opportunity and your manager was going, look, Franny, I'd rather you didn't go. I'd rather you didn't go and team up with your international teammates. How do you take that as a player? Because that's a difficult conversation to have. Yeah, I guess it is in some ways, Jim, isn't it? It's, uh, I guess, looking at the big picture, um, if you're Gareth Southgate, quite clearly these couple of games are going to be very useful for him. Any time that he can spend together as a group and a squad with his team is going to be very useful for, for the national setup. If you're a, a player and 
a manager of a, a, a certainly a Premier League side or a top side that your players are going to play or travel around the country or around the world even to play these friendlies. And it, that's the thing, they're friendlies at the moment. And Trevor rightly says, I, I would have no hesitation from a player's point of view. You want to be involved in representing your, your, your country if it's a friendly or a competitive game, either way. But I think with the dropouts that we've seen, certainly from an England perspective, if it had been a competitive fixture or a couple of fixtures we were seeing, I very much doubt we would have seen the withdrawals that we have done. Um, and it's, it's a difficult balance. I mean, we're at the business end of the, the, the football season, our domestic campaign now, and there, there's a lot to play for, whether you're a team fighting for honours at the top or survival down near the bottom of the table. And Trevor touched on it as well about players that have been playing three quarters of the season now and they might be playing with little niggles. And this, this is an opportunity maybe from a club perspective to, to sort of get some time and a little bit of downtime um, so it's a, it's a difficult one. You know, I can understand players wanting to play for their country and the benefit it would have for the national setup, but not 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 ideal in many ways. Franny, I, I think, you know, just looking at these two particular games, they are probably the most meaningless games that we've kind of had in a long time because we're going into nothing really, you know. Um, and then there's the World Cup, which is a sort of distant um rewards there for everybody but Gareth probably knows 90% of his uh, squad if not more than that at this stage what it, what it is going to look like um, and so now what is he going to actually get out of this he's probably just going to you know for instance I would like to see a Jude Bellingham and a, and a Declan Rice in midfield you know or something you know those couple of link-ups you know that would be good to see. You think he'll do it Trevor? Do you think he'll put these sort of like matchups or pairings together to, to, to experiment? I'd like to think so. I'd like to think so. Do you think the door is open for players in this scenario then, Trevor? Because Gareth Southgate, despite when he came in, he said he was going to pick players on form. He was going to look at new leagues. He's kind of stuck with a very similar squad again and again and again. And he clearly has his favourites. Like Jordan Pickford's a great example. His club form and he's, he's, his international form has been great. But his club form has been poor, but he's still retained that England number one jersey. So he clearly has his favourites. So how much opportunity is there for a a Mitchell who's coming into the defence to potentially get a place on the plane to Qatar? No, I think, you know, Pickford, I think this is actually a big couple of games for Pickford. He's obviously struggling at club level, getting criticism like all the Everton players are. Uh, and, and more criticism, I think, this week when Stephen Warnock picked out that doesn't like his attitude to the players around him. Um, that's just another negative thrown in. But Aaron Ramsdale is playing so well at Arsenal that you've got to think that, you know, if we went now to the first game of the World Cup in Qatar, it would be 50-50 with Aaron Ramsdale and Pickford. You'd probably go with Aaron Ramsdale because he, he's producing some incredible goalkeeping performances at this moment in time. So I think Pickford needs to get in and and uh, get back to the level that he shows regularly for England, which is quite strange. He acts a little bit different for England than he does for Everton. Uh, and, and I find that a bit bizarre, but um, he's a good goalkeeper. Uh, is he a great goalkeeper? I'm not so sure about that. He, he's certainly been up and down for Everton. Um, and I said Aaron Ramsdale, who's not in the squad, obviously. Uh, is probably going to miss an opportunity here. 
I, I think from the players that have been called into this squad now, um, I think it's a, quite clearly a huge opportunity for them. Very honoured, I'm sure, to get those senior call-ups. Uh, and, and they'll be looking at it. We just don't know who's going to be injured, what form players are going to be in once the World Cup comes around. So these friendlies, in some ways, are going to be very useful for Gareth to look at a, a few players that have been performing well at club level uh, with a view to see how they slot into the, the international setup. So should there be injuries, should there be a, a drastic loss of form, um, you know, players like Marcus Rashford, if there was a scenario with some of the players like him come approaching the World Cup itself, the competition, it would be very useful for Gareth to look at the players that he's brought into the squad to see how they've performed with a view to maybe slotting them into the, the, the final squad that travels. Yeah, and spending and spend sort of 10 days as well, you know, together as a group of people uh, is so so vital. You know, you're thinking, you know, the lads that are coming in this time, Tarek, Tarek Mitchell, for instance, um, uh, and Kyle Walker-Peters. I mean, they're, they're coming into an environment they've not experienced before. So there's as much, they will learn as much about just being in the day-to-day, minute-by-minute, um, group of players at St George's Park uh, as as much as they will see on that 90 minutes football or the 180 minutes of football it'll be about how they are integrating how they feel how they're interacting uh, and then what they look like in training and you know all of those things whereas the majority have, have already walked that walk and they have a kind of different focus when they when they meet up for England and I suppose that is an important consideration for Southgate as well isn't it he likes a squad that play well together for want of a better word and I mean play in terms of the way children play rather than in terms of on the pitch yeah there's that side of it which is key I mean Trevor's been part of was it two World Cups you you, you travelled in part of squads Mexico and Italy wasn't it yeah and that's, that's five weeks you know yeah those are five weeks together you know that's an insane period of time not as bad as cricket is but you know for, for football it is a right stretch and you've got to get on with people don't you it's, it's that key scenario isn't it which is quite clearly you're picking the players on their ability and their talent and how they can perform on the pitch but very rightly like you say spending that kind of time together in a, a real bubble um, which can get pretty intense I mean Trevor you'd be perfectly placed to, to know what that that sort of mindset is from a group of players and a, a, a squad sort of quite clearly under the spotlight and, and how the, that pressure may build on the players in a, in a tournament, tournament, mm-hmm. a tournament mm-hmm. if I can say it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, but the personalities and the characters of the players have got to be able to handle that as much as the playing side, haven't they? Yeah, and it's not always the case, mind you, um, that over a period like that, just through natural human behaviour, people can you know, ruffle each other up and um, different characters, different personalities. And yet when you're together for that period of time, that um, is, it's a complete open house as to how you're going to get on because you're going to experience everything together, more, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner, training, watching movies together, playing games or whatever you do. And then the same again the next day, same again the next day, same again the next day. And these are these are adults, right? You know, they've got families. They've got to deal with their families at home, and and uh, and that, the camp environment is, uh, is is a lot more tricky than I think people would would sort of uh, understand from outside. Is there anyone for your time in the England camp, Trevor? That when you saw the squad list and you went, "Oh no, 
Not him. <laughs> he's Jim, been picked. Jim. I want to spend five weeks with him. Jim, you're asking the wrong man. You know, you got. You Come know. on, Trevor. There must no, have been someone. Not at all. Not at all. That Letitia was trouble, mate, when he got in with me. <laughs> um, no, he wasn't. Uh, no, the what? No, you've got to look at the abrasive characters generally, um, who have maybe more, you know, got lots of yellow cards and red cards in their portfolio of uh, awards. Um, they might be more. Uh, aligned to, you know, falling out with people during that period, but now nothing, nothing that was, nothing that was ever serious. And um, it needs to be that way, you know, because we've seen in, in, in tournaments before, haven't we? That you know the French players fall out with each other and the Dutch players fall out with each other, and it, it derails an effort. It's been two years in the making to get to that point, and then they can't get on with each other. So to go back to the to the point. Gareth is bedding people as much into the environment as he is into the playing side. Uh, and obviously on the training pitch, see how England actually go around their sessions, how they build, how they defend, you know, and the priorities from the coaching side. We're going to look ahead in a moment to the actual World Cup and look ahead to December in Qatar. But before we do that, Franny, is there anyone that you can see in the squad now or maybe on the fringes of the squad that you th- might think might, might make a late play for inclusion in Southgate's World Cup squad? It's a real difficult one, Jim, I think. You know, it's, um, I, I think we quite clearly all have opinions on players and who you'd maybe like to see involved. And, um, you know, and when, when you're the, the man in the hot seat, you know, Gareth and his team making those selections, it's, it's not always going to marry up with maybe what the rest of us see. But I just think it's so far away at this moment in time. It's it's hard to say quite clearly. I'm probably like many that you would like to see a squad picked on form as opposed to maybe reputation and things. And very much like a, a maybe an ingredient that works for, for most sides is a, that blend of, of some experience and youth is, is often a very good one. Um, and it's going to be fascinating. You know, this, this, this next major tournament, it's, it's been a, what seems like a lifetime coming round again, doesn't it? I know it's still some way off, but you know, after the shall we call the, the the relative success, reaching the semi-finals of the World Cup, unfortunately going out to Croatia as we did, but you know there was a lot of optimism, there was a lot of hope. Uh, we saw quite clearly the the support that the national side had back here at home, and and there's other nations in that mix as well now. You know that uh, could potentially make it be making it more exciting for us as as the home nations. So. Yeah, there's there's lots of scenarios, lots of you know twists and turns that are going to happen before that final squad gets announced. But I, I, I mean, if, I, I can't even pluck a, a sort of name really. I, I I think the the young players coming through, um, I think they they know that if they're playing well at club level, Gareth is not one of those managers that's afraid to pick the younger players. Um, so you know, I, I think it's an open open door and a, an opportunity for anyone out there that's uh, that's playing well. Yeah, I think I'm just sort of thinking. Is it's is very unlikely that someone's going to come out of uh, out of nowhere now. You know, that's um, going to make that leap all the way to to World Cup. Somebody who we're not really considering at the moment, uh, but that'd be very very unlikely. I think we've pretty well seen the majority of you know what what would be possible for that England squad. But there are probably about thirty five players now that are maybe in a squad there's a, a bulk of it is obviously uh, quite fixed um, but there has been quite a, a um, 
uh, let's say an, an, an investigation by by Gareth of the, the peripheral players uh, and, and to see how they they get on um, once they're into that uh, environment of being in an England squad. Uh, yeah, it's a long way to go. But if you always you know you remember Raheem Sterling before the Euros, he was having a terrible time. Gareth sticks with him, doesn't ignores the press. And Raheem was probably our most influential player in, in the tournament. Um, but Gareth Southgate, he's, he's bright. He, he's, he knows his stuff and, and, and he knows quality. He's had to stick with Harry Maguire, hasn't he, on, in this particular squad. Harry Maguire has never let him down. He's always done well for England. Um, but he's struggled at Man United, there's no doubt. His confidence is, is being uh, chipped away at. And uh, coming away with England... Is a good thing. Now, if we look at, at that, just you know, briefly, that getting out of your club is sometimes a lovely thing, you know, particularly when it's not going well for you and you're in that in the England squad and you've got a different environment and and you can forget about not enjoying training so much for really struggling in matches, which is Harry Maguire will definitely be doing at Man United. You're not telling me these lads are thoroughly enjoying themselves in training and then being nervous wrecks when they get into into play you know, at Old Trafford. Uh, this change of environment where he's doesn't have to be the captain and doesn't have to be this. He can just concentrate uh, on his game. So it benefits certain players in certain ways. You mentioned the success in the European Championships earlier. That has obviously led to England's world ranking increasing. They're currently fifth in the FIFA world rankings and that could lead to some potential banana skins in terms of their draw for the Qatar World Cup. We'll talk about that next on Football Social Daily. The Dugout Premier League Preview Football Social Daily Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. The Dugout Premier League Preview Football Social Daily. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. This is The Dugout. Francis Benali and Trevor Stephen joining me to talk about England's fortunes and also that FA Cup semi final, controversially at Wembley at a time when you can't get from the northwest of England, where Liverpool and Manchester City are based, to London not that weekend. We'll talk about that shortly. But first, England in the World Cup. It's a few months away, but we now know England's FIFA rankings in terms of the pot they'll appear in during the World Cup. They're fifth in the FIFA rankings, which means they'll be in pot one. Um, so they'll avoid the top seven sides from the world and Qatar in that mix as well, which means they avoid the likes of Belgium, France, Brazil, Argentina and Spain. They'll all be in pot one. However, they could face some pretty serious teams in that group stages, including Germany, Senegal, Scotland. I think that has been the potential group of death that's been uh, dubbed as the one they could face 
going into this tournament. How does it feel going into a tournament, Trevor, when you know, I mean, you've got to beat the best to get to the final. That's how a World Cup works. That's how any tournament works. But do you want to play the really strong team's early doors and kind of find your feet and get your rhythm? Or do you want to keep that to the end and just kind of have the, the easy games early on? And what easy games early on? You know, there's no, no doubt about that. But um, after all of the build-up uh, is gone and the tournament is starting, that's when it all comes to, you've got to deliver now, this is it. And of course, if you're playing at a slightly weaker opposition, then um, that should help. Not that it does always, because you can, a complacency would never come into it, but you can you can just take a team maybe a little bit uh, more lightly than, than if you had taken one of the big boys on. But the way that the rankings are now, and, and some people can um, pull them apart and say, well, it's not this and it's not that. Uh, you know, Belgium have been number one for donkey's years, it seems, and they've never won anything. So, you know, FIFA ranking, what does it mean? But for something like this, positionally, England being in that top part, I think it's pretty vital um, for our hopes of, of winning uh, a World Cup because we should... We should, if we get any decent draw, we should be looking to to go through into the latter stages. Um, the quality of players we have uh, is is has been proven. It's not my opinion. It has been proven that we're one of the best teams in the world, uh, and uh, these these players are gaining more and more uh, experience, and we're adding some better and better players. So it, we're looking really, really good. But tournament football is like cup football. Uh, is is on the day. It's on as delivery of, of a performance and of a win, and uh, it can get squeaky bum time really in the early stages. And um, I won't harp on about my past, but in, in 1986, the World Cup in '86, uh, we had to in the qualifying the qualifying stage. We were either going home uh, or we were going through if we didn't beat Poland. And we hadn't looked like winning the first two games. We we kind of struggled. Uh, so it was it was now or never. My goodness, that was a pressure, a pressure pop because we would have been embarrassed coming home, and everything that comes with that. Uh, you know, you think about your your career record, eliminated, eliminated, eliminated. It doesn't look very good. You know, it's not what you're in the game for. You're in the game to 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 get some success, and then. You know, you, you win that game, but you've got to deliver that performance. And, and then, then you gain, because we hadn't played in those early stages, you gain from the first stage. And then you become really embedded in tournament football. And uh, that's when it becomes really exciting rather than really nerve-wracking in the first instances. So you kind of want that slow ramp. Yeah, you do, really. <laughs> you, you, do, you do, in my opinion. You, you, you would, uh, you'd want it that way. We mentioned that, England have this FIFA ranking of fifth now, Franny. Do you think they deserve that? Because I, I looked at the FIFA rankings, I was surprised England was so high, but then I sort of checked myself and went, that's my English pessimism. That's just kind of how you, that's how you tend to feel, isn't it? You, don't, you never rate the national team as well as they should, but they have experienced success recently and they are expected to get probably to the semi-finals of this World Cup, I guess. Yeah, I guess, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd be completely honest. I'm not quite sure how, how FIFA, you know, sort of organise or qualify these uh, these rankings, but... You know, you look at the top three, Belgium, Brazil, France, Argentina, and then us in fifth. So it's um, it's quite esteemed company we're amongst. And like Trevor's just touched on there, I think, you know, you 
rankings almost to a degree maybe go out the window other than for the purpose of maybe helping draws and things like that. It's when you rock up to these, you know, destinations, it's a, it's an environment. It's going to be quite clearly an environment, you know, in, with temperatures and things like that. Lots of other factors that are going to potentially affect performance for teams and how they can, you know, sort of have an output and, and, and play games of football in, in, in this sort of, um, uh, these sort of surroundings. So it's, it's lots of factors about how they can perform and, and touching on, like you just said there, growing into a tournament and maturing and becoming more confident. And it, it, there's, there's so many factors I would imagine that, that, that come into play in a, in, in a world cup tournament. And uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't be overly concerned about our rankings. I, I think to a degree, you know, it pretty much just is not that relevant once you're out there playing the tournament. And um, I think the, the, the draw takes place first of April, doesn't it? So it's, you know, very, very close around the corner. This is going to be the last format of the competition as it is at the moment because it goes up to, is it 48 teams in the next tournament? So, you know, there's, there's, there's a, a lot of interest and a lot of reasons why England want to be doing, you know, well in this competition quite clearly. But on the back of reaching the semi-finals last time round, I, th I think with the, you know, getting coming close in the Euros, there's there's a lot of hope around and, and a lot of expectation, I think, as well. Maybe that brings... The levels of expectation are a lot higher now um, to think that we're going to go in and do very well there. That's the problem that we're going to have. Uh, you know what the media is like anyway with uh, with England, that um, if we don't start a tournament well, we're rubbish. You know, um, you know we're bottling it. Games go like that. You know, it's like, Franny, you know, do you know... You can have some good games and you can't understand why you've had good games. The balls come to you or the things have happened for you. And then there's other games where you can't get in it. And, and and you're trying to affect the game, but you can't get into the game. And that's the same in team level. That it can be, a, every game's different, which is such a fascinating thing about football in, in particular. Every game of football is different and it works out in, in different ways. So I, I think that if you, if the media... And we're used to in media anyway, aren't we? I suppose uh, when you're playing for England, you, you know they're, they're well versed on how to to ignore it, uh, not react to it. But it's always it's always delivered the same by the English press. But I'm I'm hoping that you know this World Cup I'm looking forward to uh, just because it's unusual. You know it's unusual, um, and the fact that it's played in a, um, a, a you know a small environment, every game is within an hour of every other game. We'll have to wait and see as to, you know, how that pans out, how it unrolls. Um, but it's certainly going to be very different. How do you think the environment will play into this, Franny? you mentioned that it's about playing in a different country in different conditions. And normally we see a World Cup where if it's played in South America, the South American teams do well. If it's played in Europe, the European teams do well. Even to a certain extent, when it was out in South Korea, we saw the South Korean team perform above expectations. I mean, they were never going to go on and win it, but they did better than a lot of people expected. It's hard to see the Qataris doing that. It's hard to see the Qataris getting out of their group, given the quality of their squad. But on the other hand, does it make the, level, the playing field level in terms of you're not going to get South American teams benefiting, you're not going to get European teams benefiting, or are there certain teams that should theoretically be able to cope better with the conditions that they experience in Qatar? I think there will be to a point, Jim, that that scenario, that, that question, that point that you're putting across, um, it may help 
certain sides and players. Uh, but I think with, you know, again, Trevor will have experiences with England back in his era. But I think nowadays, especially, there's probably a level of preparation of players and of teams. And quite clearly, Gareth Southgate is a manager that will, you know, leave no stone unturned in preparing the team to be ready to perform in that that sort of climate, that sort of environment um, and those conditions. And, it, it, you know, the England squad will be ready they'll, they'll be, and, and all the other sides will be as well. You know, everybody's going to be going into this, uh, you know, fully prepared, fully ready, uh, because that's what happens at this elite level of the sport. Do you know, I think in, uh, in, in Qatar, I've, I've been in, in Qatar a lot um, over, the, over the last few years. And uh, I've seen it in different times of the year. I mean, completely through the, the, the calendar. Uh, and I completely understand why they didn't even consider uh, you know, a summer games, because it, um, a summer World Cup. Because it, it couldn't be done. People would be dying in the heat. Uh, and players couldn't play with it beyond 15 minutes. As simple as that. Uh, but the time of this, which is November of this year going into December, uh, the temperature is hot during the day. It's a, it's a nice, enjoyable hot. Um, you know, it's mid-30s, basically. But by night, it starts to cool and dramatically. So it, there is a quick drop in temperature around 5, 5.30. Um, and... It's not a problem for playing. Um, the training might be a bit more difficult to get up to the levels and intensity, but the actual matches um, should be should be all right unless they get a, a, you know extreme change in the weather conditions for some reason. Uh, I, I don't think it's going to be too much of an issue. It's not like it's not like the Mexico World Cup where there was altitude issues. You got to go and live in a mountain for for like two or three weeks prior to playing, but. Um, it should be good. Facilities will be brilliant, and, uh, and everyone's in the same. They don't have to go out to one hotel. They're staying in the same hotels for for the period of the World Cups. It'll be a strange one, um, different, but I think it, it should it should be a really interesting uh, tournament of football, particularly because it's mid season in the domestic leagues in the main. So you're getting players that are fresh, only two three months into the into the campaigns. Um, through for, for most countries, and uh, so for instance, England, which should be going there in November, absolutely up to speed. They would have been up to speed in uh, in, in uh, league football normally within three or four games of the start, which would take it to end of August, early September. Those that's when players are really starting to hit their hit their straps as far as the fitness, touch everything about what they do. And so time-wise, uh, and getting up to November, it should be the most competitive uh, football World Cup that we've had. Now, one of the unavoidables for this World Cup is the subtext of the political subtext, I guess, of the games being played in Qatar, the human rights aspects, the modern slavery accusations, the LGBT rights as well. Now, Harry Kane gave an interesting interview this week, Trevor, where he said that he hoped to shine a light on some of the social issues that are happening in, in Qatar. What did you make of that statement? Did it feel like it was potentially a bit of an empty promise? Because yes, he wants to shine a light on it, but at the same time, he's contributing to the tournament. He's contributing to the economy of, of, the, of the regime that supports these social issues. 
Or is that just the responsibility of a captain, particularly if you're a, cl- if you're a country's captain, that you have to speak out about these things? Uh, it's very difficult territory that, um, that Harry Kane is, is put under, the scrutiny that he's put under just, just by that question. Uh, he's asked for a view on what's been going on in Qatar and the build-up and, and um, the human, human rights uh, issues that are in existence over there. I find it myself, you know, just my opinion, I just find it a bit, it's not really for Harry Kane to have anything to say about that. I'd much rather it come from Gareth Southgate. I don't think the players should have to be asked those questions. I think as the countries, um, uh, are the, the countries that have qualified, and even countries that haven't qualified, but if it comes from the, the officials, uh, I think that's more because you're talking about an international country um, and how it operates. So if there's a comment to be made, it really should come from the equivalent, which is our country. Uh, and I would, I would be, um, I, I would promote the fact that keep the players out of this. And if there's any discussions to be done, let administration and management deal with that and take it away from the players. Because you know, media again will will latch onto a wrong word. You know, you know, he doesn't care. Um, you know, and, and it will be turned around in a negative fashion. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's a topic because again, the media will make a, a big thing of the fact that no one will talk about it. So, yeah, you can't, you can't really win. I guess it's something that we've seen quite a lot of recently. We've seen this with Harry Kane. We've seen Eddie Howe being asked questions about Saudi Arabia recently. We've seen Thomas Tuchel, for some reason, being considered the mouthpiece of Chelsea Football Club in terms of talking about issues in Russia and Ukraine, which is 100% not qualified yeah. to do. And it's it's almost unfair to be put in that position, I guess, because they are fundamentally, they're football managers, they're football players. Why should they be put in these awkward positions where they have to field these questions? Yeah, I think, you know, quite clearly, you know, maybe every individual has their own views on on, on, on matters. Um, but, you know, I, I, I agree. It's, it's Maybe it's because the players and managers are accessible to the media and quite clearly there's an opportunity to to put a question to them on these matters. Uh, but it's it's difficult. As you say, it's, um, you know, they're, they're football players, they're managers. Um, you know, I think decisions and comments probably need to come from higher authorities, I think. Well, we're going to turn our attentions back to domestic football in a second and the FA Cup semi-finals, one of which, well, both of which are happening in Wembley, but one of which involves two northwest sides that find their options to get to Wembley incredibly limited. That's Manchester City versus Liverpool. We'll talk about it next on Football Social Daily. The Dugout Premier League Preview Football Social Daily It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, 
even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The Dugout. Premier League preview. Football Social Daily. Welcome back to the final bit of today's Football Social Daily. The Dugout, Francis Benali and Trevor Stephen joining me to talk about the weekend's football action. There's no Premier League action. We've talked about the international football, but one issue that has been bubbling up over the last couple of days is the FA Cup semi-final between Manchester City and Liverpool taking place at Wembley, but the weekend on which it takes place, there are no trains. All trains from the northwest to London have been cancelled because of engineering works, which means there's a load of City fans and Liverpool fans facing incredibly long car journeys and bus journeys to even get to the game. How do you view this one, Francis? Because it feels to me that fans, once again, have been a bit of an afterthought when it comes to the arranging of football matches. Yeah, I mean, sometimes quite clearly the the left hand doesn't communicate with the right hand, it seems. And it couldn't have worked out any worse, really, for, for the occasion and for the teams that are involved. Uh, and ultimately, it's just such a shame that its supporters are the, once again the ones that are, you know, facing the difficulties in all this. And uh, of course, there's there's a cost implement as well. I mean, we're, we're we're in a time now where so many people are finding things difficult with rising fuel bills and you know petrol prices and and everything like that. And you know, yet clearly, so many people are still backing and following their teams and prepared to spend money buying tickets paying for travel, um, and when that's almost disrupted to a level where it's just causing complete chaos, it, it, it makes it so much unfairer on the supporter. Um, obviously, the, the, there's probably opinions and debates and you know people have views on whether Wembley is the right venue to, to, to host a, a, a semi-final or semi-finals. Um, when there is stadiums around the country that certainly geographically for this fixture would, would suit both teams being in another part of the country. Um, so, you know, that's, that's an interesting one, one as well, which I think, you know, could, could well work, but I get the occasion players and supporters would get and love an opportunity of going to Wembley for whether it's a semi-final or most definitely a final, but um, yeah, this, this certainly, this occasion and the, the timings of the, the travel has uh, is, is not helped supporters one iota. Just from, from my uh, viewpoint, I don't like the semi-finals at Wembley. I really, I really don't. I, I Why think... is that? It just it takes away the specialness yeah. of the final being at Wembley. It does. It it, it should um, be all about uh, you know getting to Wembley um, as the pinnacle, the cup final day. Now the semi-finals are as big as the cup final itself, and um, I, I find that. You know, back when I was playing, that it was already working well. The fact that we would play it on a neutral ground um, and for the semi-finals, it'd be somewhere that geographically fits in for both sets of fans, and that did work well. But of course, you build something like Wembley, which needs to generate money just for paying the bills that it was. I don't know how many billion it was or something to 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 build it. That they need to keep generating and generating, and then of course their argument would be that they need to filter this money into grassroots and down the pyramid and all of these all of these other things well yeah we'll take that as as a, a genuine argument but i think uh, really where and that's what, what franny was saying there right at the start we're in we're in challenging times no matter what never mind you know the trains not being um available on that particular day 
uh, or that weekend. That's only part of it. It's actual cost. It's it's the fact that um, the supporters will not be able to get back onto their um, uh, to their home to, to their homes on the cities that they come from. So it's going to be for me. I would, I would, I'd revert. I would take it away from from Wembley. I know I know it's a money thing at the end of the day, but I would prefer to see it on neutral ground. I don't think you get many arguments from the majority of fans. From that point of view, then Trevor, can you see the FA backing down on this one because they've set this precedent? They've gone look. The FA Cup semi-final is at Wembley Stadium. And you're right, it's a financial thing. They need to sell the debenture tickets or whatever it is to make the money back on the stadium. Uh, the Metro mayors have got involved now. They've said it needs to be moved. But if they move this, then there'll be cases every year where you've got clubs from all over the country, whether it's Newcastle versus Aston Villa or whatever it is, saying, oh, we don't want to go to London. We want to play it in a closer to home. So from that point of view, the FA are going to find it incredibly difficult to budge from their current stance. Uh, I, I don't think so. You know, why not just make the change? It's only a, it's, this is only a monetary issue. Okay, there's nothing else for it. Never mind. Fans want to get to Wembley. They want to get to Wembley to see their team to see their team win a, a semi final, right? To see win a semi final, which will get them to Wembley. That's that's really what it, what it's all about. Because who wants to go to Wembley and see in, in, in a semi final and see their team get beat? Okay. So, uh, you know, it doesn't make any sense. There's only money that drives this and there's nothing else in it. Uh, I, I just think as well, you know, the game, the game is a, it's a national game and why we should be dictated to by, you know, that, that stadium, all as great as it is. Uh, I, I just, I'm not a believer in, 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 and players get to Wembley too easy. You know, make them fight harder for it, and you know, that would be my thinking on the whole the whole episode. Um, whether they change it this time or not, I think they actually will. To be honest with you, I think there's going to be so much fan pressure because it's unrealistic for people to get to get down there, um, and, and that's unfair on on the paying public. Do you share that view, Francis? Because there's so many great stadiums around the UK, and I actually quite like that period when they were building Wembley, when we had the international tour and. The England players were playing at St. James's yeah. Park and Villa Park. I thought it was really nice. It was nice that different sets of fans could have easier access to this game from a location point of view. Do you share the idea that the final is Wembley, the semi-finals? You can play in one of the other great stadiums around the UK, but the, the final itself is what happens at Wembley. Yeah, I'm very much similar to, to Trevor in some ways, but there, there's a small part of me that thinks, you know, as a supporter, maybe getting to, to Wembley and, and watching your team in, shall we, albeit maybe a semi-final. For some teams, that's still quite an achievement. I'm not saying they just want to reach the semi-final and that's it and they'd be happy with that. I was actually sort of at Wembley a few years back with Southampton and seeing, well, last season when they lost to, to Leicester City. And, you know, it's just the worst, isn't it? You know, losing in a semi-final or seeing your team uh, go out at that stage of the competition... You could argue maybe there's an element where we've we've had a chance to go to to Wembley and watch our team, but I fall back a little bit into that that little bit of an old school mi mindset in the sense that Wembley was Wembley, and you know there was some fantastic semi final games that we've seen over the years at neutral venues, uh, and and that's um, you know just because it's always the way it was done doesn't mean that it's the best thing or the right thing, but I still think there is that 
that element of like it's watering down what Wembley is and maybe the final itself to a degree by by having them there and you've touched on the reasons why they go there and that's quite clear and understandable but I think you know it, it loses something by having the semis there. We'll have to wait and see what action the FA takes. Certainly in the interest of fans, you'd imagine they, they could potentially look at changing it. it. would be the best things for those Manchester City and Liverpool supporters and the noise is getting louder around it as well. That is it for today's Football Social Daily episode of The Dugout. Francis, Trevor, thank you very much for your time. Really enjoyed talking to you. Pleasure, Jim. Pleasure, guys. Don't forget you can get the latest news on your team at sport-social.co.uk and make sure you're subscribed to this podcast and you'll never miss an episode. We'll see you next time. The Dugout Premier League Preview Football Social Daily Premier League Preview Football Social Daily Hello, it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favourite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com I looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.